I'm James Vincent, host of Leaders in Innovation, a most innovative companies podcast from Fast Company. I'm a founding partner at Founder, where we help give voice to vision for founders. We've had the privilege to work with some of the biggest founders of our time, from Steve at Apple, Brian at Airbnb, Evan at Snap, Jason at Discord, and many, many more. We're back for a new season, and this year we speak to Leaders in Innovation. In an era where things are changing so quickly, it demands a new playbook for innovation. From emerging technologies like biotech to completely new categories like AI, innovating simply at the product level is not enough. To get to true impact, scale, and mass adoption now requires innovation across multiple levels. You have to design around systemic issues such as supply chain, go-to-market, new types of partnership and new ways of working, as well as technology and product experience innovation. Whilst we're going to be talking about AI and new foods and biotech, we're really going to be compiling a new innovators playbook with lessons you can apply no matter the size of your company or the job title you hold. My guest today is Thomas Klotzel from Okin, an AI biotech company. Thomas is a pioneer in modern medicine, breaking down the silos in the healthcare system and rethinking healthcare around the opportunities of AI. Thomas founded his company in 2016, $300 million raised, 360 employees, having a probably outsized impact on the way that the, the medical industry considers how to treat cancer. And today, I really want to explore what has he learned with regard to his approach to innovation in such a complex area that maybe has lessons for people inside and outside of the healthcare category. And here's my conversation with Thomas. Hey, Thomas, how are you? Hey, James, super excited to be here. Great to see you again. So today, just for the listeners to understand what Thomas, for me, represents is a an incredible example of an innovator that's using AI to really solve one of the world's biggest problems. He's taken a look at the way the system works and is reviewing how to use AI within the system of healthcare. I really want people that listen to this not to have to have a postgraduate degree in biology to understand it, but more to understand how you as an innovator have approached one of the world's biggest problems, right? I read recently the 19th century affliction was infection. The 21st century affliction is cancer. Exactly. So really want to get into how you've thought about innovating um, in this very complex area. First, you're, you're saying that health is really everything that matters in life. You know, you can have everything you want. You can be super rich. You can be married and have the best family. Everything, if you don't have health, you don't have power, you don't have life. It's really what matters the most. This is really where you know, innovation has to happen. Health is wealth. We're going to talk a lot today about complex biology, but what I really want to do is to get to see how you as an innovator have thought about how you implement AI. I think when you innovate a new area, you sort of go through a shock absorber moment. Oh my God, there's these innovations. But we're always looking for a bridge to the future. Yeah. And I think some of the th ways that you're looking at using the innovations you're bringing is to provide a bridge to the future so we can cure cancer, if you put it simply. So let's get into some of the ways that you looked at that. 
cancer and disease in general are not understood. Pancreatic cancer is increasing in very young people below 40. Even though you can be very healthy, eat healthy food, do your yoga, follow your whoop on your wristband, you can still have a pancreatic cancer under 40. And it's very sad and we don't get it. So my vision was, what do I want to solve? I want to solve the understanding of the cancer and why the people have cancer. And then my, my, my vision is to get there. You need some collective intelligence to break silos. The field of research in every field, but in particular in medicine, is extremely siloed. People want to publish first. Uh, people don't want to share the data. People don't want to share negative things. Open innovation in health doesn't really exist. So it's really about like, what is the technology I can bring to solve what I identify as a problem, which is more knowledge. How can we bring this collective intelligence and break the silos, breaking competitive silos, research silos, and where we came, this is where we came with one technology that was federated learning. Federated learning is just technologies that give the possibility to people to train AI together without having a need to share data. It's really breaking all silos you can imagine. One vision, one problem, one solution, and one technology at the beginning. Without sharing data. So obviously data privacy, big, big issue. Big issue. So you're saying that's one of the things you had to get over was people being okay with sharing data so you could then get the the mass data models that you needed. Data is a new commodity, you know, health data, is, it's really the oil. Uh, you can sell your data online and make money from it, but no one always knows who it belongs to. Um, take the example of France. If you do a, a CT scan in a hospital in Paris, does it belong to you because you're the patient, it's your body, or does it belong to the governments that paid for it fully? But then, you know, I think like health data, it's really where the innovation is going to come from. Our playground is patient data. We really wanted to build trust with the patients and the doctors and trust in the companies. And if you lose trust with patients because you have been selling the data, you cannot really build things. So to build things that could last, you know, we really wanted uh, uh, to access data at scale. We wanted to have 10 times more data than anybody else. But then once again, we, we needed to build the technology to be able to do that. This is where we come with the idea of federated learning, which means you access data remotely, you remote execute some AI, but the data never leaves the hospitals. There is no risk of having a leak or, or any hacking of it. And then because people don't have to share data, they're super okay to collaborate. AI is not robust if you train it one place. You have to be able to train your model on multiple geographies. So AI is only as good as the quality of the data that you put into it. So many companies are, are, are building like their AI on public data without a clear vision on who it belongs to. Or be, you know, I think when you, when you want to build innovation, you have to get very clear about what's my vision on data. AI doesn't mean anything without the quality of the data you have access to. One of the things I just heard you uh, describe was collective intelligence, this notion of sort of pooling together all of the data out there that clearly AI needs. Can you describe that to us? Like, what is that concept? The concept of cognitive intelligence is it's not a, a, a solo mission to be able to understand cancer. And it's not only about breaking the silos between data. It's also about having all the best key opinion leaders in any field coming together, analyzing the results of the AI and the insights to see what's valuable and what can grow. And I think today, you know, for, for example, for Hawking, we've been able to build very large community of the best key opinion leader for every disease. And you can, you know, diminish the bias of everyone if you have a large group. And I think, you know, being able to, 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 to build a research community into one entity where people think as one is really something that uh, we have to build together. And uh, all this research silos and the competitive silos for healthcare is unacceptable. Technology will be solution process too, but we need a strong motivation to build a collective intelligence together. So building a trusted way of operating, trusted brand that people are willing to share their data with you without jeopardizing their privacy is, would you argue, a fundamental plank to implementing AI? It's the first layer. 
data is the backbone of any AI companies, fintech, climate tech, <laughs> tech bio, like us. I mean, today, you know, we speak about foundation models. You cannot build a foundation model with tons of data. Uh, the question is, what's the quality of the data and, and how you can have a lot more than people? How are I going to get 10 times more data of super high quality with a very clear vision on who it belongs to? So the data is there, it's just in different places and not being shared. Nothing is shared. It stays within the firewall of the hospital on-premise. Only the AI travels. We built, for example, a project called Melody with 10 large pharma. We'll be able to understand how small molecules, it's a, it's a medication, can bind to a certain targets. And these 10 pharma never worked together before. And it was cool because they collaborate. Just as an example of how dysfunctional healthcare is, this week Biden announced that they were now going to have certain drugs being negotiated, the price of which being negotiated with the government. The fact that he had to announce that and that wasn't actually what was always happening is, is an indicator of how, you know, lobbying and powerful forces prevent the movement of information and market distribution. And so what you've seemed to have done is on a data level, found a way for people to share and feel good about it. I'm looking at this model now a different way, which is you're the small upstart innovator in AI biotech, finding a way for people to trust each other with data, making vested interests all see the benefit of moving forward together. Exactly, and build this collective intelligence that it needed. And something I want to add also, James, about that, you know, I think innovation in general, in AI, in every field, uh, you need to be close from academics. Most of, in healthcare, most of the great innovation is coming from the academic. But if you take the large pharma, they're pretty far away from academics. They're very bad relationship, very hard to, to work together. Uh, and so they're missing a lot of new innovation, really like a lot of new drugs are being discovered in academics. Uh, and so being able to share your AI and your insights without having to share data is going to get the big pharmaceutical industries closer from the academic and work in a really more healthy way. And this is going to bring innovation at scale. Tell me how you cross silos to get to better results. Our goal is to try to understand new biology of cancer, why cancer appears, what some populations resist, some treatments or not. You know, to make this new breakthrough, we need a lot of data. Data can come from the academic side, mostly, or the, or the pharma side. And to be able to gather a large amount of data, big enough to make some new discovery, and usually we say that we need 10 times more data than all of our competitors, if you try to take all the hospitals in the world and say, okay, we, I'm going to work with you and we're going to aggregate data within one big data set, they will say, no way, I'm not sharing data with the other guy. There is a risk of breach. Here, we don't say that. We just say everybody will benefit from the insight, but data never have to leave where they're being created, which is the hospital. They never have to travel. Only the AI is going to travel. And that just gives us access to much larger database, capturing the, the, the differences between people and treatments. We try to gather a lot of like patient data, respecting their privacy, and then using our AI to understand new insights and new biology that can be extremely helpful. And we've done that with the academics, the big hospitals, and with pharma as well. And this just gives you a defensible access to patient data in a worldwide manner uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise if you were asking people to share. It's interesting because you're recognizing how the system is working and not working, yeah. and then applying your innovation, build those connections that need to happen that aren't happening because of the way the system is structured currently. Yeah, exactly. This is how I describe it. Then I, you know, I try to change the system of the data ecosystem, trying to gather more things. And then what also I do that is a bit different is I'm using that to recreate a full stack pharma. 
recreating a way to develop, discover drugs, and deploy uh, the test of these drugs worldwide. So when I'm doing something, I'm not trying to re to remodel an existing part of a company. I think innovation comes when you take the problem and you try to recreate a company that's just going to do it better. Tesla is not trying to to just build a better battery. I mean, a battery might be the angle, but they're really building the full car, right? And well, the whole system, how you buy it, how you maintain it. In our fields, we're pretty much the only ones that are trying to recreate the farm of tomorrow, be more data-driven. I've heard you describe that as the da Vinci model, that notion that 500 years ago, da Vinci came along and threaded science and art and design and architecture and urban planning and military and the million different things. And so the da Vinci model is to innovate, not just simply on the thing that you do, but understanding the entire system and finding ways to innovate at multiple levels. You want to talk to that a little bit? Scale comes by the cross-fertilization of things. And, and if you want to augment the power of your, uh, of your company, I think you have to be able to be very open. Uh, take the example of AI once again. On AI, people usually choose modalities. You might choose to only work on genomics, genes, information. I'm only going to work on clinical data, edge, sex, you know, whatever. Or just work on images of a biopsy. It's called pathology. You're going to choose a modality. You're going to develop a workflow to analyze genomic better or clinical data better. What we think, for example, is like we, we, we need to not choose. You need to be agnostic. You need to be open where you can actually cross-fertilize in these modalities. Sometimes one modality will be important for certain cancer, another one for another cancer. And you need to be way more in open in the way you approach the questions. We always say there is two things in life, you know, there is concentration and attention. And, you know, concentration is when you talk about something very specific, you always focus on one thing and then you go out for a walk. And when you go out for a walk, you open to the world. You, are, you, you, you go from a concentration to an attention mode. And it's during this mode where you actually have the better ideas. And we want to be in this mode all the time where we are not really focused on just answering questions. But when we can capture the signal of the diseases, where things happen. So we're extremely open in the modalities we use, in the type of disease we want to approach, trying to understand where, where there is a signal, where, where there is something strong that, we, that our AI will unravel, where there will be a signal that can explain a cause of a disease. It's a way to see the data differently. This is a big bet. And for me, I call it the unfocused bet. Uh, if, you, if you're an innovator, most of your venture capitalists will ask you for focus. They will come down and say, you need to focus one data modality, which disease, where are you going to build? Not the full biotech. Which segment of the biotech? I, I always fight off. I was like, no, I want to absolutely unfocus. I want to be open. I want to work on all modalities and I want to recreate the full stack biotech. I don't want to work on one segment. And I always fight off the focus battle, which I think is really hard for a board at the beginning. And finally, my board accepted it and helped us out. So that sort of oversimplification of something as complex as cancer and healthcare is in your view, not going to solve what is clearly a multimodal challenge. And a multi-origin challenge. You know, maybe every cancer is a virus. We already know that many cancers are virus. Hepatitis can give a liver cancer. HPV can give a, you know, a gynecological cancer. EBV can get a head and neck cancer. We know that viruses are linked. We know less than 90% of the ecosystem of virus. And this is where also like there is another lesson about innovation is generative AI, very trendy word, right? Generative AI, just to generate new molecules or generate something new from data. But between the, the data and the generation of a new molecule, there need to be a new understanding of the disease. There need to be new biology. It takes more time. But if you're not discovering the how, you're not going to get to a different goal.
we're going to solve the world's hardest problems, they're going to be complex. And we have this opportunity with AI that has incredible capacity to solve problems. But what I'm hearing is there are some fundamental things that you have to innovate around that, it, that include the sharing of data to get large data models, the breaking down of barriers and getting people to think about issues together. And then for you to look at the system and say, this is an incredibly powerful tool, but we need to put it to work clearly in, in the system and redesign the system to make the most of the AI, which is a lot. That is a massive systemic way of thinking about everything. In general, we tend to agree that we should focus our innovation onto one thing. Exactly. Capture, you know, capture signal and discoveries that you want to build. And the net needs to be the right size, but you know what they're going to capture and this net may be different among cancers because the origin of the cancer is different, maybe different across diseases. Uh, the goal is to build the net, is not to build you know, just a little fish line that will just capture one or the other. It's a lot to keep in your head though. It is a lot, it's extremely tiring. You know, for people to innovate in a new category and say, okay, there's multiple levels of innovation with multi-nodal approach and that if you bring this incredible power of AI you have to think at a system level where and how to deploy it. It's very complex. But this is what happiness is, right? Doing things that are challenging, but doable. And I guess what we do is extremely challenging, but it's doable. But I, I mean, I just wanted to add something on the Da Vinci side as well. You know, I think something in healthcare that's very important is how the crosstalk between the AI itself, the doctors, you know, and the researchers that don't understand things the same way. To me, AI is a communication tool. At the end, it gives you insights that still need the human you know, intelligence to, be, to, to, to come with it, you know, to be able to build that. And I think you know, AI is not an end product. AI is just a tool to something else. When we, um, we enjoyed working together a couple of years ago, Thomas, one of the things I remember us uh, thinking about was this idea of a better way of seeing. And actually, I just want to talk about that because I know if you go on Okin, Dot com. There's all these amazing videos that are super visual. Yeah. Normally when I think of AI, I think of large language models. I think of data, numbers, spreadsheets. But actually, it seems like you're looking at images and pattern matching them with other images of tumors to say, what should we do with it? I mean, you've been very, you, you and your team have been really inspiring us in this way to see the data. And I think it was, you know, you came up by us to help us find this message. What is amazing about computer vision in medicine is the computer sees things in images that the human has not seen. And take the example of a biopsy, right? A biopsy is a little cut of a cancer. You extract it with a needle, and then you're going to cut it in very small pieces, and you're going to look at look it up and to try to understand uh, something new about the patients or even the diseases. With your human eye, you're limited. You're going to see this is this type of cancer. Sometimes you're not even sure. I see some signs of aggressivity that the patients might relapse, but you're never going to be able to do more. The computer, looking at the same image that the human, the professional, the doctor, might see way more things. He might see that his patients will relapse in three months, that he should have this treatment and not the other, that there might be a viral sign of the tumor, that the structure of the tumor looks like another one, being able to compare. What is amazing is there is so much things in these images that we have never seen it before, you know, and just the way to see things with your open eyes makes things so exciting because uh, we've been looking at these biopsy images for hundreds of years, but probably we, we weren't looking at with the right eyes. That's really interesting. One of the themes of this podcast series will be to explore really good use cases for AI and have them be models for other innovators in other categories, right? What you're talking about now is deploying AI in a visual sense, not just data or words or numbers, but actually using the visual set and AI can help you 
Absolutely. In health, what matters is how you connect cells to genes, genes to tissue, tissue to diseases, and how you can go to a multi-scale understanding and representation. This is exactly what happened in, in fintech as well, how you can represent, you know, the movements of money to like larger economic models. And, and, and I mean, really trying to go in the multi-scale understanding of things. This is really connecting all the scales of a problem will be the, the, the future of foundation models. Some will use generative AI, some won't. But foundational models will be able to represent very, very complex things in a very simple manner. Then we will be able to do a lot of operations and improve how we predict things, how we predict response to treatments, how we can diagnose things. Yes. I think you have some quote about the AI biotech is stuck chasing the illusion of personalized medicine. Yeah. And so I'd love to understand that because I think most people go, oh, I want James's medical plan and Thomas wants Thomas's medical because you're a very unique, you've got all of your very specific DNA and your lifestyle and your inputs and conditions. And I felt like you were saying, fine, but in that journey, what we really need to understand is how different every single tumor is from another. Exactly. Today, we, we are treating every single tumor the same way in very big academic hospitals. And then you can discover new targets and new way to fight the disease and the cancer. But most of the times people have, all of everyone has the same treatment, the same chemotherapy. And we know we're different. We know as a host of the tumor, we're different. We know the tumor itself has different clones. People are just seeing this problem as trying to diagnose things in a different way. We believe that if you want to be able to bring precision to the way people are treated, you need to go it from day one, from how you discover the drugs. And you don't discover targets that can be actioned by a drug. You need to discover a target within a specific population. Then you use this population to do a clinical trial. You use this population uh, as diagnostic tools to find it. You have to understand that this is, this is like trying to bring the discovery of the drugs in a very specific subgroups. We'll shrink the market of the drug. Because if you only develop it in a certain population that, that may benefit from this drug. And this is a big move also for the pharma is the pharma has accepted that even if you shrink the population, the market is maybe smaller at the beginning, but you are winning the market if you, because you can have better successes and better results. And I think also sometimes innovation is being able to lose money to eventually make a lot more, <laughs> being able to change the paradigm of, of how, how things are done. And I think the pharma is really going there as well using AI. This is a sort of new approach to pharma. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to bring precision medicine from discovery okay. and, and do clinical trials in very specific subgroups. But the, the thing is that these subgroups, they can be characterized by AI discovered markers, images markers. This is something the pharma didn't know how to do. You know, they use a gene as a marker of a disease, but not how a gene can combine for certain images of the body. It can be a biopsy, a CT scan, whatever. If you zoom out, you're a AI biotech, relatively small company compared with these, you know, large pharmaceutical companies. And you've come in and brought this fresh approach that pulls everybody together, federated learning, sharing data, and then pulling the pieces together that are critically needed in order to actually develop these new treatments. We are recreating drugs. Uh, but we're trying to find new biology, new mechanisms to build the drugs and the right population. It's not one patient. It can be a thousand patients, five thousand. We're not in the care industry. We're a real research company trying to understand new mechanisms with AI and which population will benefit from this new drug. And then we use both because today pharma is based on intuition. It's also where AI brings, you know, uh, a lot of steps, you know, in the world. In, in, this is also about innovation, right? Pharma, there is so many steps in the pharma process of how you build drugs that are based on intuition of people. We think that everything has to be data-driven and not based on knowledge of anyone. And if you find new biology, new subgroups, a way to better do clinical trials, you can really be data-driven and not based on people's intuition. This is really important. And is that shift then to say, no, let's use data 
to find out what that subset is and then match that. And build the clinical trial in this subgroup of patients only. So you're solving very specific tumor issues of very specific tumors, and then you're doing trials around that. So, so the future would be there's thousands or millions of different types of cancer treatment rather than everybody just needs to sit and get poison pumped through their entire body because they have cancer in one small part of it. And maybe for some cancer, you would have five or 10 very distinct group of people. Some patients may have more activation of certain pathways, a different, you know, history, geography, history, or genes. You know, we try to understand what's specific as well. And we are really building a knowledge base and breakthrough. It's funny. I've always said the future is not mass, it's multi-niche. The opportunity of technology is to have that level of sophistication in everything you do. And if you have a thousand different cancer treatments or 10,000 different cancer treatments, you add them all together, that's a big market. But the idea that one drug will solve those 10,000 use cases is maybe the old model. And the new model is let's find every single verbal visual description and then match that with a certain type of group and match that with a certain type of treatment. To that point, then, is your philosophy that you're implementing in cancer, is that also being implemented across other... Yeah, in cardiology, autoimmune disease, uh, everywhere, really. And I think it, it makes sense for everybody. So this is the new wave. This is the new chapter in healthcare. I think so. I mean, it's yeah, it's the chapter of really personalized medicine, of new discoveries of cancer and better understanding and using new way to see the, the, the tumor and the things with computer vision, as you said. This is, a, this is a new paradigm and this is what I call innovation. But Something I just want to say also about innovation is I have a mentor. His name is Richard Foster. So he was a, his professor at Yale. He wrote the book, the book Creative Discussion Lab. He was the first director of McKinsey. And he's teaching innovation. And I came to Richard. And I remember it was in New York. And I was like, Richard, explain to me what is innovation? What is good innovation? What does it mean? And he told me the answer is like innovation is anything that brings economic value. Uh, if you don't bring economic value, you're not doing innovation. It, it really makes me think, in, and this is part of AI. I mean, I think, especially in healthcare, a lot of companies, you know, trying to build a lot of things that don't find buyers to it. And if people don't want to buy, they don't have the feeling that it's going to change their life. Uh, this is very important in my career. So I, from very day one at Okin, we, we try to help clients, big pharma, to sell our technology. And selling the technology very early, not only we make money to be able to grow, to raise more, but also we really understood what was the real value, the perceived value to clients. Put another way, innovation only matters if it has puts a dent in the universe, right? And putting economic value to something attributes that it matters, right? So people will be willing to pay for it. It's not a sort of mercenary, I'm only going to innovate if I make money. It's a way of recognizing whether the market is seeing that this is going to have a significant impact. You maybe don't know exactly the economic model at the beginning. You know, uh, the AI economy is very complicated. And even when, when I raised money, I remember when we first had money from Google Venture, I went to the first meeting and they asked me, what is the business model? And I told them, I don't know, but please invest to help me find out. How did that go? They really liked it. And it was very early in the company. And they knew it was true. I couldn't come with a certainty about, I knew exactly what's the business model. This is the size of the market. This is the market. You know, it's, it was more, and I think it was very interesting because you have to get money and innovation really leads to money. But how exactly uh, it's a discovery process and an error and trial. This podcast is evidence of the fact that you brought a very strong idea of your innovation model to a system and how you were going to connect all those different pieces and provide innovation at multiple levels. Your answer was, I don't know exactly which one's going to be my economic model, but I'm pretty sure if I solve it, there will be one. 
Exactly, exactly. I knew there would be money to bring value. And maybe value is better than economic. It's just if you add value through your innovation, you'll find a business model. But I accepted very small checks, you know, from Big Pharma at the beginning, 30,000, 40,000, because I really, I really didn't care about the amounts. I really wanted to know if people would pay for whatever, what I was building. Right, okay. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be here. The company wouldn't be here. Okay, so let's zoom out, right? So you're an innovator in another category. What have you learned, Thomas, in terms of your approach? Because you, you have to be a multidimensional founder to innovate. You have to be able to collaborate. You have to be able to lead. You have to be able to partner. You have to be, able to be incredibly sophisticated, but also very open. What are the key attributes to being a great leader in innovation? It's a great question. For me, I think the first thing that I learned is do something that you love. If it's something that is really close from your heart and your story and where you're coming from, uh, you will do a lot better. You know, you have to really believe it, especially in healthcare, where things take 15 to 20 years you know, to be able to really grow. You need to be extremely patient, but also really love what you do. The second one is you need to be able to have, uh, you know, a project that is challenging, very challenging, very hard, but doable. For me, that was the social impact uh, factor that was extremely important. I believe everyone in life has to play a social, social role. Personally, I would not see myself working in something where I cannot change the world. I really want to bring something, even if, even if it's incremental, it's not a revolution. To Hashtag, this is my mission. I really believe this is you know, what I have to do and this is where I'm happy. You really want to change something in the world because the world is really fragile. So Thomas, what's uniquely a learning for innovators in other categories? Like, What was it about you, about you being a clinician, that allowed you to be able to see all the things that needed to be solved within healthcare. The patients themselves, you know, seeing the disease, seeing how they were evolving, seeing, you know, how, how they could handle the disease and the toxicities and how the doctors could help them. And, and really being able to be a clinician gave me a totally different perspective on how I could see the solution to help them out. And I think it brought me a new way of seeing things. And I think this is where I'm different from like, you know, engineers. I might maybe even go back to medicine one day. At the end, I know who I want to bring value to. And I, I find a way to see not only the drugs, how you develop it, how you diagnose a disease, but how actually the patients can be affected by the technology and innovation. And I think it really, really matters because it's really remind us why we're here. So as a doctor, you saw patients and you, you went to go solve the issues that would help them get the treatments they needed. I saw the patients, I understood the problems, and now I'm trying to see the data to help them out. Fantastic. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, James. So as I said in the intro, this year, we're trying to build a new playbook for innovation with our guests on this podcast series in collaboration with these innovators. A founder, this is what we do. We talk to founders every day and learn and use lessons to build a new playbook. Innovation sometimes requires a systemic shift in approach. And for Thomas, this is the Da Vinci model for innovation. Quite a comparison. 500 years ago, Da Vinci came along and radically changed the way we think about art and science and engineering and mathematics and pulled them all together in a fairly holistic model of how to rethink things. Thomas's belief is that AI presents just such a moment where everything needs to be reconsidered and the opportunity is to think on a systemic level at a multi-nodal, multi-layered approach to the types of changes that need to happen in order to make the most of the opportunity that is AI. The second big step forward from Thomas was this need to develop collective intelligence in an age of AI. That big data is awesome, but not if it's in a million different places. And trying to find ways to pull that information together, because as we know, AI needs not 
millions, not billions, but trillions of bits of data to be truly useful. And so finding ways to bridge the different silos, break down the, the, the reasons why people don't share information, find ways to protect privacy, find ways for companies to come together and work in partnership to learn. That's a re-orchestration, a re-crafting of the way that healthcare works. And then thirdly, just a reminder, AI is just a tool, remarkably powerful tool, but actually only useful when you redesign the system around it. So in his case, curing cancer, which is perhaps the metaphor for things that we haven't solved, AI can do that through creating visualization of data that allows you to see one thing from another and AI can compare billions, trillions of pieces of data and see the tiny, tiny differences between one cancer cell and another that can be the difference between successful or unsuccessful treatment. That's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to Leaders in Innovation wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you like this episode, give it a rating. Five star would be awesome. And review it on Apple Podcasts, if you would. If you want to hear from you, let us know what you want to hear more of. You can email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us, hashtag Leaders in Innovation. Leaders in Innovation is a production of Fast Company in partnership with founder FNDR, couldn't afford the vowels. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen, produced and edited by Matt Toda, sound designed by Nicholas Torres. The writing is Matias Sanchez, also ably assisted by a merry band of Camilla, LJ, Hannah, Nikki, Naomi, Nick, this podcast is done in collaboration with my amazing partners at Founder, Stephen Butler, Rebecca Jeffries, and Nick Barham.